What is going on, guys? You are live here in the Game Book Podcast, presented by myself, the Buffalo Sauce God. I've got my co-host here, none other than Game Book Vice President, Mr. 12 Gage. How are we doing, Gage? Pretty good, pretty good. A little bit of a sizzler out there today. Amen to that. It's hot as hell out. But guys, we have an excellent first podcast. Of course, this is only live on YouTube, but you can follow myself on Twitter at Buffalo Sauce God. You can also follow Gage at 24GageOliver24. Friday nights, you can tune into me on the Built in Buffalo Network as I talk to Buffalo Bills in the sit down Friday nights at 7 p.m. You can also check out my Facebook page, Bolster Up Breaks X Sammy Sports Cards for sports card stuff. You can also hit me up on IG at AB Sauce God. I'm on the Whatnot app, including maybe tonight. But today's podcast will be the first episode, which will also air on Spotify. Uh, a little bit of a change before I kick off this intro. So it used to just be, you know, the game book, and then we had the film room. But now, since I have everything going with Built in Buffalo, this is going to be exclusively called the Game Book Podcast. Um, this is a 21 and older podcast. We don't encourage or endorse any illegal or underage gambling. We swear quite a bit. We smoke cigarettes on here. We drink whatever. We have a good time, myself, engage. So in today's podcast, we have the results of the 2022 Home Run Derby, which was pretty freaking wild between the final two people, as well as Albert Pujols in most likely his last year of baseball. Um, actually advancing to the second round, kind of cool. Then we'll talk about last night's All-Star Game uh, as the AL won 3-2 for their ninth straight consecutive win. The state of the New York Yankees heading into the second half of the season. And, of course, episode one of The Captain, the documentary about Derek Jeter and those World Series teams, uh, aired on Monday night, I believe, at 10 p.m. Eastern. And I uh, actually was able to watch, so we'll talk a little bit about that and what's upcoming for that. Then we'll switch over to NFL talk a little bit about Deshaun Watson. Of course, there is rumors about he plans to sue the NFL should they suspend him for a full season. The Bills are 50 days away from kicking off the regular season in Los Angeles against the defending Super Bowl champions in the Los Angeles Rams. We'll talk about the excitement for that. Then we'll get into what the Bills look like heading into the training camp as rookies have reported this week and veterans are expected to join them very soon. What we expect out of the divisions in the NFL. And of course, I want to make a little quick mention at the very end about Sabres talk because we don't really ever talk Sabres much, but there is kind of a shift in the culture that is existing right now. So, Gage, let's cue this music and let's get this baby started. Right on. Maybe on the deals, Nick. Guys, here we are. Gage, I, I bet you liked that intro a little bit. That was kind of nice, huh? I did. I did. And by the way, for those of you that are wondering, that is a tribe called Quest. It is an instrumental. I don't own the rights to that music whatsoever. However, we are not here to monetize. We are just here to hang out in the game book. 
live here on YouTube. And of course, if you're listening, this is on Spotify. Make sure to share this with anybody. Turn the notifications on so you don't miss anything. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, because I'll tell you what, it is good to be back on the game book here with Gage talking about, uh, you know, what we're going to talk about here today, which I'm excited because here's a little bit of a broad range of topics, especially me and you being Yankees fans. We have a lot of reason for excitement. Oh, yeah. um, and one of our guys ended up winning the AO MVP last night. I'm excited to talk about the captain because I'll tell you what, as much as I love the Buffalo Bills gauge, Derek Jeter is my favorite athlete ever to play the game, any game. And he is truly my idol. So it's cool to see some of the stuff that's coming out about that. So let's get into it. The home run derby took place. And Juan Soto, who we all know is in the news for declining a 15-year, $440-plus-million-dollar contract with the Nationals. Uh, he is currently 23 years old, probably one of the best young players in the game. And it looks like he is going to be possibly traded if they cannot come to some agreement. So let me give you my takeaways first. Gage, what were your thoughts on the fact that, okay, Julio Rodriguez lit up the park with 81 total home runs? However, in the final round, you know, it's timing that matters the most. Of course, Juan Soto defeated him in the final round. And Juan Soto, whenever he got on a tear, he started slow. And then he got onto a tear where he just couldn't stop launching home runs, including he had the long, uh, I believe the longest one of the night, which is 482 feet. So my takeaways are it was it was like excellent to see Albert Pujols compete number one, but then get past Kyle Schwarber in the first round, who we all know Kyle Schwarber is on an absolute tear this year with the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, Albert Pujols has been obviously never being a Cardinals fan, not a guy that's been like one of my favorites, but he's been a pleasure to watch play the game of baseball because he's been so talented and so well-rounded. He's a champion. Um, so many years with the Cardinals, obviously before he signed a huge contract with the Los Angeles angels, which ultimately didn't pan out the way that they hoped. Um, of course, I think that's more of dysfunction with the angels organization and age as well for Albert Pujols, but it was really cool to see how the players respected him. Kyle Schwarber kind of bowed at him a little bit, which was really awesome to see. I think that it was really kind of a nice little storybook ending. He, he, Ended up losing to Juan Soto in the second round, who eventually went on to win. Not by very much, though. It was pretty close, so that was exciting to see. But, Gage, how about it? For a guy that just declined a gigantic contract, there's all obviously tons of news surrounding this young man and where he might end up. Now, yeah, some people were complaining, okay, well, the other dude hit 81. I understand that, but, of course, it's timing. Um Hell, remember the one year we saw Josh Donaldson light it up in the first round? It just it is mm -hmm. a matter of timing, of course. And I thought that Juan Soto really had like that clutch gene in him for a second. And it's like crazy to see a guy tear up the home run derby, you know, especially amidst these contract negotiations and all the news surrounding him. So kind of like a moment where he kind of like like Aaron Judge is doing this year, proving it. You know what I mean? Like proving exactly why. Number one, he deserves more money um, because if you break it down and, and let me break this down because people were like saying, oh, that's a big contract. How could you, you know, how could you decline that? It's the biggest one in MLB. Here's the thing. That contract is for, yes, 15 years, which would take him till he's 38. And it's not a matter of, you know, is he afraid to play for 15? No, it's, it's a matter of the contract's only 29 million a year versus in 15 years, 
players are probably going to get paid, like paid 50, 60, 70 million the way that contracts go in today's sports. So obviously if you're any guy, you want to take, you're going to want more money, which we see in the NBA guys would sign like two, three year deals until, until the salary cap increased where they could get more money in a future contract. So I just want to say, I don't think that Juan Soto is like a brat or a greedy athlete for declining. I think it's hard to buy into a Nationals team that's right now rebuilding. Obviously, you know, they won in 2019, sure, but that was like on a one-year window, basically, and they they executed and they won. But would you really want to play for the Nationals for 15 years, especially when at the moment they don't look like they're competing much? Versus, okay, so let's take a look at Mike Trout, the best player in baseball by far. I mean, I think that we can both agree, Gage, that Mike Trout, when healthy, is the best. Well, he's the most well-rounded and and the best best baseball player in in the whole league. Um, Shohei Otani too, obviously, and it's crazy that the one and two, in my opinion, are on the same team. But Mike Trout took that big contract, and not necessarily because of the money they offered, but because of his loyalty. Sure, but like imagine going to a team like the Yankees when you're a free agent and the way that the Yankees are right now and the way that the culture is for the New York Yankees, the Yankees are always trying to compete for a World Series year after year. A lot of young talent on that team. So there are some rumors, Gage, that the Yankees and the Mets are really expected to heavily pursue Juan Soto. I'm sure the Dodgers as well because, uh, you know, those teams can afford that type of contract. But then you look at for the Yankees, sure, they could trade away some young pieces, but you still got to pay Aaron Judge. And then mm-hmm. I saw some Yankees fans, and here's my problem as a Yankees fan. I'm not your typical one that says, oh, 27 rings. I don't do that because I, I didn't see Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio and all them. I did see the Yankees dynasty with Jeter and all them. But it's like they were saying, okay, Judge is 30, Juan Soto's 23. Like if there was a trade offer for them to, you know what I mean, like take it. But like, no. Judge is the unquestioned leader and face of this organization. I mean, he's definitely in line to be the next captain, and he deserves to get paid. I don't care if he's 30. He's staying healthy. He's still consistent. Even in slumps, you know what I mean, where his his average decreases, the dude is still hitting home runs and contributing and coming up in big moments, and he's still an excellent fielder. So it kind of like – it's kind of like fair weather fans. You know what I mean? Like you're ready just to dump a guy just because – of some history and because you want a younger player, but like, let's say that happens. And then Juan Soto gets hurt and doesn't play those 15 years that, you know, if he took a contract like that with the Yankees, would you be happy about it then? So Gage, you know, what did you think about Juan Soto's performance though? in that home run derby, obviously crushing the ball and then defeating Julio Rodriguez with 80 kids, 21 years old, by the way, Julio Rodriguez, I hadn't even really heard of the kid, but he just went off. I think he had 32 in the first round. So what did you think about Juan Soto's performance? Well, I didn't really uh, pay much attention to it. Um, Like I uh, looked on Facebook and – you seen him hitting the ball though. Like you seen some of the highlights, like he was just crushing it, dude. Like he would yeah, start yeah. slow and then he would hit like seven in a row. Like the dude was just unquestionable. Like he was amazing. And um, I think that Juan Soto really like, sure. It's just the home run derby, but he showed that like 
he really is just that talented. I mean, there's stories of when he was in minor league ball, like, you know, they, they had like a cop or some, or a sleeping bag for him or something like that. And he said, don't worry about it. Because they wanted to move him to a, a normal a room or whatever. And he said, don't worry about it. I won't be here that long. And look at how he's advanced himself, being a World Series champion in 2019, 23 years old with options in front of him, obviously. Um, I think it's just crazy to see a guy, like I said, similar to Aaron Judge with, you know, the contract situation and how they're performing. Um, don't let, you know, Juan Soto's stats. Some people say that, oh, the kid just walks too much. Oh, he doesn't play much. But, like, dude, the Nationals are just irrelevant. Like, that's why. The kid is definitely a perennial talent. He's probably one of the top three youngest players in the game, like like top three, like him, Fernando Tatis, um, this Julio Rodriguez kid. There's a lot of kids, obviously, that are really – that's the best part about baseball is, like, you can be young, you can be old, and you could de- you could be very good. Um, it's, it's cool to see baseball getting exciting um, as, you know, the home run derby's always been cool how they, like, mix it up a little bit. Um, and it's nice to see that guys compete in that event yeah, you know, we saw Aaron Judge win it one year. Um, that was when John Carlo was a Miami Miami Marlin, and them two were just crushing the ball against each other. It was insane, but mm-hmm. it's exciting to see. So congrats to Juan Soto, and, of course, congratulations to Julio Rodriguez on an excellent performance. Um, and, yeah, I get it, 81 home runs versus 52, I think it was. But, like, again, yeah. timing, you know. Just because mm-hmm. just because you go seven games in your first three playoff series, but you know you sweep them in four in the finals, doesn't mean that it's anything less or any, you know, like it, it's not deserved. So, um, moving on now to last night's AL All Star Game, which I want to go ahead and I want to pull up these stats really quick as well. Um, excellent game. I don't think that I'm I'm not surprised. Of course, the AL won three to two. And that is now their ninth straight win. And I think the AL just like constantly dominates in the All-Star game. So I think I'm not surprised. Uh, Lower scoring. You know, we saw some pretty solid pitching, but it was the fourth inning that proved to be the difference as in the fourth inning, John Carlos Stanton tied the game up with a two-run shot, which was an absolute monster, 457 to left center field that tied the game at two apiece. Um, by the way, too, Paul Goldschmidt having quite the season with the Cardinals. And, like, it's nice to see a guy that got traded from the Diamondbacks excelling with that team. They got some pretty solid guys over there, too. I'm pretty sure they got Arenado. So then after that, uh, Buxton, who I, I – some of these guys I don't really know too well because, like I said, I pay attention to the Yankees. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just kind of getting back into baseball even more. Shohei Otani, by the way, went one for one. He also drew a walk. Everybody's always watching him. Aaron Judge, of course, going 0 for 2. Um, I'll tell you what, man. Like, it's just – it was a really good pitching display, but John Carlos Stanton took home the uh, the MVP with the two-run shot that tied the game. And, of course, that led to the go-ahead home run by Buxton. So, all in all, I think the All-Star game is always kind of exciting because – it, de- it decides the home field advantage. You know, if the AO wins, they have home field advantage in the World Series. So it's mm-hmm. nice to see that there's something to play for. Baseball is obviously different than the NBA or football, which obviously nobody really cares for those all-star or Pro Bowl games anymore. But baseball, you're not going to get injured so much because you're not hitting somebody or you're not, you're not running so damn much where an injury is less likely to happen. But still, it's cool to see that there's something to play for. 
Um, and the AL is now taking it nine, nine straight years for home field advantage. So uh, I think that it was cool to see some of the guys that played. Um, you know, looking at the pitchers, obviously Yankees had two pitchers there, Garrett, Garrett Cole, uh, Nestor Cortez, I think Clay Holmes too. But Yankees had quite a few guys go there this year, six guys, and it's incredible to see. Yeah, Nestor Cortez did appear, did not allow a run. He had two strikeouts in one inning. Really solid. You know what I mean? Two strikeouts. He did have one walk, but he got it done with no hits, no earned runs. So that was kind of nice to see. Um, and then I believe Clay Holmes did make an appearance. He gave up one hit, but no runs. Pitched uh, two-thirds of an inning, and he had a, had seven strikes out of 11 pitches. So that brings me to my next point, which is the state of the Yankees going into the second half of the season. So... John Carlos Stanton taking the MVP. I think it's cool because Aaron Judge obviously doesn't care about that kind of stuff. Aaron Judge is going to play well, and he's currently the MVP of baseball, like no question. But John Carlos Stanton, like that's got to do something for your confidence a little bit. You know, you take that because you, you obviously were the, the difference really in a sense. But that guy could use confidence as he is playing a pretty solid season, obviously making the all-star team. His hitting is better. His strikeouts are down. I mean, that's the thing. He's a big guy, just like Aaron Judge. I mean, he's he's an inch shorter, I believe. But he hits the ball hard. Yes, he strikes out. But, yeah, I mean, it It ain't like Joey Gallo, who's got five hits and so many at-bats. Like, it's despicable to see that. So, I do know that there is possibilities that the Yankees will make a trade at the deadline. But I think that the Yankees going into the second half season are primed to um, continue like the way that they did in the first half because – they did slump a little bit towards the end, obviously being so hot, but not really. You know, they got they got it done. They still hold a 13-game lead over the Rays in the AOE's mm-hmm. division. And by the way, I don't think it's a question right now of what the toughest division in baseball is. It is clearly the AOE's. You have every team at 500 or higher, including the Baltimore Orioles, who have actually currently won, I believe it was, uh, it was like 11, 10 straight before they lost their, their last one. Yep. But they are currently 46 and 46. And now Vegas has actually had to adjust their odds quite a bit because they were a long shot to win the World Series at plus 2,000. Now they are 250 to 1, I think it is. So, you know, it looks like Vegas is trying to scramble because now they're at 15 1 odds to just make the playoffs because they're only they're in the third spot in the wild card. So, more than likely, you know, New York and Tampa, potentially Toronto, you know what I mean? Then, then you still got Boston who's gotten hot but kind of cooled down against the Yankees, obviously. The Baltimore yeah. Orioles, who have fine – I mean, like, they got nothing to play for. They, they got – I'm sorry, they got they got everything to play for because they're always doubted and hated on and always said that they suck. But here they are, winning games, sitting at 500. Versus, you look at the AL Central, you got three teams at 500 or higher. In the AL West, you only got two teams, 500 or higher. <laughs> you go to the NL. NL East. NL East is pretty solid, but you only got three teams over 500. NL Central, you've only got two. Then you go to the West, which obviously I think that's probably the second toughest division in baseball. Um, eh, maybe in a sense, because in previous years, the Rockies have been better. The, the Diamondbacks were okay. But obviously the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants are all powerful teams and can definitely make runs. So I think that the AL East is by far the – Toughest division in baseball. So let's look at the Yankees' record going into the second half. 
through, I believe it is 92 total games. They have 64 wins, 28 losses. That's good for almost 70% winning. They are 37 and 12 at home. They are 27 and 16 away. Their run differential gauge, this is a scary number, right? This is a really scary number because I can't wait to tell you what the second one is. <laughs> their run differential is plus 199, meaning that they've outscored their opponents 199 runs. The second closest, and it's the only one that's close, is the Los Angeles Dodgers at plus 169, who are obviously on a tear too, 60 and 30, but not playing in as, as tough of a conference and division as the Yankees. Especially the Yankees have owned their division this year, which is nice to see because usually the Ra- the Rays, the Red Sox, and, and apparently the Blue Jays, especially the last couple of years, and even the Orioles can have their numbers sometimes. So yeah. it's crazy to see the Yankees hitting has come to life, even with the struggles of Joey Gallo, which I cannot stand. I can understand a guy like Kyle Higashioka who doesn't hit for much of an average, but he does come up in, in, in some moments, and, of course, he plays the position to catcher very well defensively. So that's the difference there. But the Yankees are, in their last 10, 5-5. Five five. They've won two straight against the Sox, which I believe they won the series. Me and Gage watched the one in extra innings, which was a little bit of a, a moment where we got kind of pissed off. But yeah, they um, let's take a look at how they have been versus their division. Um. Versus their versus their own division, the Yankees are 30 and 15. The Rays are the next best at 23 and 17. That's a seven-game differential. Versus the AL Central, they're 19 and 6. The West, they're at 10 and 4. And in interleague play, they are 5 and 3. Their right-handed pitchers are 43 and 20, and their left-handed pitching is 21 and 8. So their pitching has been pretty phenomenal. Obviously. Nestor Cortez started off way more hot. Garrett Cole was pretty solid. And then even Jamison Tyone, who I think is like, let me pull it up too. Jamison Tyone, I believe, is, let me go to pitching. Of course, all these stats are provided by ESPN. Garrett Cole is currently 9 and 2, by the way. I thought it was a little bit worse, but not bad. He's, of course, got, he's given up 17 home runs, which I don't like, but he's got 147 strikeouts. Nasty. And his his K per nine is is twelve, nasty. His ERA is three. Nestor Cortez is still two point six three sub three, but he started off way more hot. But it's it's better to see them fall into a little bit of a slower slower streak there for a minute right now as we prepare ourselves for October. Um, so I think that and by the way, Jamison Tyone is 10, 10 and two. Holy cow. And then you got Nestor Cortez, seven and three. Luis Severino, five and three before he got hurt. Jordan Montgomery, three and two. But I mean, he's got 18 starts and, and the hitting has kind of backed him up, thank God. But let's mm-hmm. also talk about Clay Holmes. 16 saves. He has appeared in 41 games. He is four and one. 16 saves, as I said, 41.1 innings pitch. He's given up only 27 hits. That's less than a hit per inning. Only six earned runs, no home runs. That's a big stat. That reminds me yes. a lot of Mariano Rivera. Yes. Only nine walks versus 44 strikeouts, and his K per nine as a relief pitcher is 9.6. That's incredible. Um, his WHIP, his whip, is amazing, 0.87, and his ERA is 1.31. So 
I like the way that the Yankees are set up. I think that Aaron Boone is doing a great job managing this team. Of course, I don't think Chapman has much of a place closing games anymore. Um, but I think that Aaron Boone getting tossed out of that one game we saw was excellent because that 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 uh, that umpiring was awful, calling yes, things a foot below, but also calling them six six not calling strikes when it was six below the top of the strike zone. So um, I like the way the Yankees are set up. I do wonder if they really are going to heavily pursue Juan Soto, Gage. And how I feel about that is what are you giving up? I don't worry about, you know, because obviously you're paying John Carlos Stanton a big contract. You're paying Garrett Cole a big contract. You're going to more than likely, if, if they're if they're not stupid and they don't want to do what the Red Sox didn't trade away a generational face of the game, you sign Aaron Judge to a big contract. So, yeah, money's not an issue for the Yankees. Luxury tax would obviously be insane. Because, you know, guys like Nestor Cortez, unless he continues his dominance, more than likely is not going to get a gigantic contract. Um, and then, sure, you got to pay guys like Lever Torres, but some of these guys are expendable at the price of, of a generational talent like Juan Soto, who is only 23. Imagine if you have Juan Soto for 15 years on a team that's trying to be built for success for the next 10 to 20 years. So I think, Gage, it would be a great scenario. I don't know if it's really likely. I know the Yankees do have some guys in their farm system, and it ain't like the Nats are going to take Joey Gallo off our hands, but you can't yeah. trade away Matt Carpenter. By the way, let's talk about Matt Carpenter, too. Matt Carpenter oh, it needs yeah. to be playing. He needs to be playing every day. His, I don't care where you play him in the field. He's a utility guy. He's a Christ first kind of guy. Love that because he talks about how he gave up all his worries to Jesus and like how that has enabled him to grow on, you know, to become the ball player he is. So he's been on a tear batting over 350, I believe. I think it's 13 home runs. In fact, I got him right here in front of me. He's batting 354. His on base percentage, which you know me, Gage, I love OBP. I love yeah, a guy that gets on base. Yeah, you do. Shout out to Joe Pratt with the highest on base percentage ever, 75. But <laughs> his on base percentage is 470. His slugging is 911. I mean, bro, Aaron Judge is, I mean, obviously crushing it. He's at 618 slugging. His OPS, Aaron Judge, is 983. Matt Carpenter is 1.3. That is insane. Imagine if he keeps that pace for the whole second half of the season. Gage, he might hit for fucking 35 home runs and literally make himself an MVP candidate in limited time playing. He's made more use of his at-bats than, than Joey Gallo. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. Joey Gallo is an exceptional outfielder, though. He has a great arm, and he obviously can hit the ball deep. But he has been the same guy since he was a young player, even when he had that three-home run game for the Texas Rangers when he was a rookie. I saw him play triple-A ball. He hits it far or he strikes out. And I don't care. That is not acceptable for me. I don't like the whole home runner bust. I love guys that hit for average, like Tony Gwynn, probably one of my favorite non-Yankees ever. Derek Jeter, my favorite guy ever. Look at what those guys did. They contributed to their team, and it's not always via home run. That's why I love Aaron Judges. He's not a guy that needs to hit the home run. He walks. He draws a lot of pitches. Even if he strikes out, he usually strikes out in a 3-2 count or a bullshit call. It's all about 
production. So Aaron Judge has got 33 home runs, by the way, which tied him for Roger Maris before the All-Star break um, for Yankees players. He's also got 70 runs batted in. DJ LeMay, he was uh, coming on a little bit as of late as he has increased his average to 280. His on-base percentage about 38, uh, 383. Um, I think that Anthony Rizzo is doing a, a pretty solid job. Obviously, he's got 22 home runs, batting only 224, sure, but he's got only 64 strikeouts versus Aaron Judge has 100. But like Aaron Judge also has 44 walks. Rizzo's got 43 walks. So that's the thing is Rizzo bats 224, but then his on-base percentage is um, it's 340. So, I mean, that's solid. Glover Torres is kind of coming to life a little bit more. He still kind of strikes out a little bit too much for me, but he's doing well at second base. I love to see that. So I think that the Yankees are primed for success in the second half of the season. You got to be careful of those Red Sox. Be very careful of the Rays because they always want to get after the Yankees. The Blue Jays right now aren't really scaring me as much. I don't really know. Like, it seems like they kind of lost a little bit of their magic. But baseball is different. You can get going at any time. But yeah, I think the AL East is definitely going to be a little bit tighter. I My expectation gauge is with 92 games. So that means we have a total of 50 left. I think the, game, I think the Yankees maybe go like 35 and 15, um, which would be good for over – let's see, over – put that 99 wins. So maybe maybe better than that, maybe yeah. better than that. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry because I did that. I did the math wrong. That's 70 more games. So I think that the Yankees probably go something like 45 and 25, um, which is obviously solid, and that's going to put you at 109 wins, and that's obviously good enough to take the East. Maybe they win 50 gauge. I don't know. 50 and 20 would be exceptional. I don't know if I, I don't know if they're gonna push 120 wins. It would be insane to see, obviously, but um it all depends. Of course, I'll take a look at the schedule before we move on real quick. Of course, you guys are live here in the game book with myself, the Buffalo Sauce God, and of course my co-host and one of my best friends, Mr. 12 Gage. You can follow him on Twitter at 24 Gage Over 24. You can also check out my website at buffalosaucegod.com where I'll be posting my wing reviews, I'll be posting this podcast all of my social media content and everything like that. Make sure to tune in Friday night, 7 p.m. to Built in Buffalo for the sit-down um, and all of that good stuff. Make sure to check me out on Instagram. I'm also a card salesman, card breaker, which I might be having a chance to do some stuff tonight, which would be really cool to do it with Bill's Jason, of course. Wonderful guy, Bill's super fan. Uh, so I look forward to hearing from him. So as I look at the schedule for the remainder of July, we started off tough. We've got a doubleheader against the Houston Astros, who are probably the second-best team in baseball. I hate to say it, but they are. Then you've got three games in Baltimore against the Hot Orioles. Then you've got a Subway Series at, against the Mets in, in the Mets Stadium. Then you've got the Royals for four games to finish out July. So that's a little bit of the outlook. I think the Yankees are kind of primed for success at that point. So I like their odds in the second half of the season. I think that if they keep playing this way, Gage, they obviously could very much win a World Series, which I would love to see. I'd love to see Aaron yeah. Judge capture his first, especially in the season with so much question mark about his contract. So I'm loving what I'm seeing. Let's move on to our next topic, which we're going to stay on very briefly. Let me light this up. And by the way, if there's any kids watching, I do not encourage you to smoke cigarettes, of course, you know. It's just my thing. But the captain came out, the first episode, 
which I believe the next episode will air tomorrow night on ESPN Plus. So I watched it, and you know, obviously, coming from ESPN and from the way that it's shaped and how it's parted, and obviously Michael Jordan and Derek Jeter are very similar players, obviously under the same endorsement because Jeter signed with Jordan. Um, it was really I was really looking forward to it. So the first episode goes back to Jerry, uh, Derek Jeter's roots, talks about his family, talks about a little bit of the life for his family growing up um, because, I, I, you know, his parents are a biracial couple. Um, and his dad, obviously, was an exceptional person, his mom too. But it's funny, at a young age, they really encouraged Derek Jeter, you know, you could do anything you put your mind to, which is something I really took away from that that I loved because he manifested what he wanted for his destiny. He want, His dream was to be the shortstop for the New York Yankees. That was his team. There's pictures of him in Yankees gear. He met Dave Winfield when he was a kid. Um, and he played shortstop. I mean, like, I love the film, too, that they had because it showed it showed the day that he was drafted. So when he was drafted, it was expected for him to go either first or fifth overall. And first would have been to the Houston Astros, which their their head scout was obsessed with Jeter, loved Jeter, and that's why he actually retired when they didn't draft him because he said, "quote unquote," if if I couldn't get them to believe me about that, I can't believe I can't get anybody to believe me about anything. Was what he said. So, um, he didn't go first, and he didn't go fifth. He didn't even know the Yankees drafted sixth. That's the thing. And back then, obviously, there's no social media. It's not really highly televised. You just know what they're telling you, and you're expecting a phone call at some point. So he was drafted sixth overall by the Yankees, um, which it kind of talked about how George Steinbrenner, you know, rest in peace, former, uh, you know, the former big boss for the Yankees, how he was kind of ruthless and how he had to step away from baseball because he tried to get information on Dave Winfield basically to kind of ruin his career which really looked very bad. And then that brought in, I think it was the name of Stan King, who was a guy that was all about development. And instead of what George Steinbrenner liked to do, which was sign superstar players from teams to try and compete for a World Series year after year, he had to step away for a couple of years and have him as the GM. And that's where it became more about let's build young players, let's develop young players, let's go through the farm system, which changed the course for the Yankees, of course. And it talked about their core four, Posada, Pettit, Mariano and of course Derek Jeter. So Derek Jeter was an exceptional shortstop in high school, coming straight out of high school when he was drafted. Struggled his first year in, in minor eight ball. And I loved it because you could see the human side of Derek Jeter. He cried a lot. He he felt like he was failing. He wanted to go home, but eventually things, you know, played the way out that it did. And he stuck with it. And it's really exciting to see how he came up and like it, okay, so the, the show ended, episode one ended um, after 95, which was like Don Mattingly's last year in baseball, and it was the only time that he had ever been to the playoffs because the Yankees weren't exactly good for some years. So, you know, they might have won. They might have won the World Series. 94 was obviously shortened, too, because of the strike. Um, so there was no postseason that year, and the Yankees were currently in first place at that moment, but – 95, Jeter's not playing in the postseason because he's not on the active roster, but that's when, you know, kind of like his rookie season technically. And he was in the dugout with his guys, high-fiving people. He was there when David Cohn like, got taken out of games, everything like that. He was just a true leader 
And even when the Yankees lost um, to the Mariners because of Ken Griffey Jr. came home and, and scored, and that was the game-winning series-winning run, Derek Jeter was just as visibly upset, if not more, than the guys that actually played because, like he said, it, I, I didn't have fun watching that. You know, I wanted to compete too, and, and I felt that for my teammates. So it's really cool to see what Derek Jeter, his career starts like. Now it's going to probably lead into 96, which is his first of four championships in the 90s with the New York Yankees. So, Gage, I was really happy to see that. Make sure to tune into that, too, if you haven't done so already. Um, it's amazing. So, I believe episode two airs tomorrow night. Now let's move on to a topic which has been heavily discussed for, uh, honestly, over a year now. Deshaun Watson. Long time. Long time. And I'm glad that I could talk about it here because I can kind of give a little bit of my unfiltered opinion about this matter. And, um, of course, you know, everybody has different opinions, and I'm not pushing my opinion or view on anybody else, and I'm not trying to sound, you know, anything rude or anything like that, but I'll give you it straight. So Deshaun Watson, we're expecting a ruling on what a suspension will be because there's going to be a suspension. I mean, sure, there's no criminal charges. He was dismissed of that, but settled on, I believe it's maybe 22 out of 24 lawsuits in civil court, which, sure, it might save money. It might get you out of the thing quicker, and it might kind of just go away faster. But for a guy that wanted to clear his name, it's kind of BS to me, and it kind of admits some form of guilt, whether or not he did it or not. And I'm not saying if he did it or not. But I am saying when you will settle, I give you I give you an example like I gave you the other night. Patrick came in the mm -hmm. year that he had winning MVP. He had that, I think it was a sexual assault um, allegation against him. And he said right from the jump, I'm going to go to the extent to clear my name. And the charge was dropped and it completely dropped. And he cleared his name of it. I mean, that's how I would be. I don't care if I got to miss two, three, four years of football, whatever. Like at that point, I'll worry about it then, but I don't want my legacy or my personal image to be tarnished for an image like that. So I think this is the part that pisses me off the most though. So there's rumors about the suspension being a year or more. Then there's a rumor that they're willing to settle on a six to eight game suspension, which obviously whatever is done will be appealed unless it's to Deshaun Watson's liking, which that's what pisses me off about this guy. This guy wanted out of Houston because they didn't consult him on the general manager hiring. This guy wants mm -hmm. quite a bit. That entitlement pisses me off, especially, yes, he is, when he plays, probably a top five quarterback. That dude has been amazing without all his weapons constantly. I mean, trading DeAndre Hopkins, all these, whatever. He still has performed. So, I mean, yes, he's great. But the Browns obviously are waiting for the suspension to come out. But, like, what an asshole. You get your suspension, you should be thankful at that point because maybe some people will be all right about it afterwards, you know, because people want justice served. But, yeah, if you're suspended for a year, you're going to go ahead and sue the NFL? Like, what a dick move, dude. Like, I just don't understand it. You, you settled. You settled out of court. So there's a there's a civil suit that you're, you're taking – and like I said, out of 24, it was like last I checked, 22 he had, you know, settled with. It's a big fucking deal. Six to eight games is definitely not enough. A season is a start. But what's fucked up is his contract with the Browns, which we know for five years, 230, was fully guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Year one is only $1 million. So they're not going to be on the hook for, like, paying him a bunch of money to not play, which people think is going to happen. But 
again, I think it still sucks because he'll still get paid afterwards. He'll still get paid more than likely through a suspension and like that'll get it, whatever. But if I were him, just take your suspension, fucking go home, watch some TV, eat some ice cream, play some video games and stay out of the massage parlor, Deshaun. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's my view on it. And, and of course, you know, I've said this, I, you can't always believe victims, but you definitely should not always disbelieve them because 24 different women I mean, he is a high-profile superstar, sure, but, like, let's not act like these guys don't think they can do what they want. Let's not act like this stuff does not happen. Ben Roethlisberger, prime example of a guy that did not suffer enough punishment and people kind of shut up about, but, like, whatever Deshaun Watson is going to get that's extreme is deserved, in my opinion, and I don't want to see anything less than a year. I think even then, a year is still too little. So, again... I think it's hilarious that the Browns had a guy, sure, who might not have statistically been that great since his rookie year, and he might have had injury problems, but he played through those injuries, and he also got them their first winning season in forever, their first playoff win in forever. Baker Mayfield did a lot of things for that Cleveland Brown organization with subpar talent. He had great running backs and a great defense, but what does that always do for a quarterback? you got to have someone to throw to. Jarvis Landry is not an above-average receiver. He's average. Not, I mean, yeah, he might be a good teammate, but he's also a dirty player. Me and Gage, obviously, you know, we don't like him for when he was with the Dolphins. But Odell mm-hmm. Beckham never bought into the system. You have, you know, better run blocking tight ends than you do receiving. So my thing is, is like they never had a passing offense. They had two running backs. They had, you know, no continuity in the, at the coaching position, which look how pivotal that is. Josh Allen's growth was because he had the same offensive coordinator for years. Same thing with Ken Dorsey being there, all that. It matters. So I think it's funny. Deshaun Watson, they, they go and get him, and then they trade Baker Mayfield for a fifth-round pick. And I honestly think Baker Mayfield is going to do kind of well um, with the Panthers. They have some they have some weapons over there, especially if Christian McCaffrey can uh, stay healthy. But, yeah, Matt Rule I'm not sure about, but DJ Moore, good receiver. They got some talent over there, so maybe Baker has a chance. New start. Um, it is funny to me, especially as a Bills fan that the first two quarterbacks selected were both top three picks in 2018. And now they're both on the same exact team, which is with a different team. And they were drafted to, um, of course we know that Josh Rosen ain't shit, but Lamar Jackson is obviously an exceptional quarterback and that guy deserves to get paid too. So let's talk talk a little bit about some other NFL stuff before we get into Bill's news. Um, of course this is the game book podcast live here on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on Twitter. Facebook, all that good stuff. Make sure to check me out on Friday nights on Built in Buffalo for the best Bills coverage and best Bills show. You are live here with the Buffalo Sauce guy and, of course, my guy 12-Gage. I'll tell you this, too. When it comes to the NFL, man, I'm excited. We got 50 days till the kickoff, of course, in Los Angeles. Um, Exciting stuff. So, as far as the NFL is concerned, though, bro, I I like – it's it's just so different, right? Because, like, Kyler Murray is, like, begging for a new contract. This dude still has, I think, two years left on his rookie deal versus Lamar is in the final year of it. Like, mm-hmm. I understand the urgency for Lamar, but even he's not saying nothing. He's ready to play. He's ready to finish. The, whatever. Gets done when it gets done. But it makes me happy that Brandon Bean was proactive and got the Josh Allen extension done when he did because now it's going to cost more for – a guy like Baker Mayfield in his final contract, should he play well? 
It's going to cost more for Lamar as well, too, um, because that's how quarterback contracts work, especially seeing a guy like Deshaun get five years, 230, fully guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Uh, precedent that we're not used to seeing until Kirk Cousins when he signed with the Vikings originally for three years, 84, guaranteed. Um, I'm just really happy that we have a quarterback that's ready. Um, I love that the 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 – the vibes in the locker room are on point, bringing back a couple guys like Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips who love the Bills Mafia and have been, you know, like a Sean McDermott kind of – those guys are kind of guys for him. So I'm excited for that. Um, I am really interested to see how Devontae Adams plays with the Raiders this year, uh, especially the Raiders being probably, in my opinion now, the toughest division in football. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, them them adding Devontae Adams and then, of course, um, Chandler Jones, some other guys. Derek Carr had a pretty solid season last year for all the dysfunction that they had. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, sure, the Chiefs traded away Tyreek Hill, but you still got Patrick Mahomes, who's probably, you know, if you want to say Josh Allen's the best quarterback right now, then you got to put Patrick Mahomes right there, too. I mean, you have to. But – they're still primed to be good. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, they still got some good young guys, Andy Reid, and obviously the continuity and experience. So you got the Chiefs, then you got the Chargers, who have one of the best young quarterbacks in the game, Justin Herbert, who I think is going to be a top five quarterback his career. Um, adding JC Jackson and Khalil Mack to go along with Joey Bosa, Derwin James, like that's incredible. The Chargers are really growing. Um, obviously, just missing the playoffs last year due to some odd circumstances at the end of the season. But um, then you got the Broncos now, too, trading for Russell Wilson. They put themselves in conversation. They got some good young talent, Javante Williams, Jerry Judy. um, And now you got yourself a real quarterback, a real leader. So it'll be interesting to see what Denver does. I think Denver might be like the odd man out. I think it'll probably go like, I think, honestly, Chargers – Chiefs and then Raiders, and then that might be the two wild card teams. Um, I'm sorry, there's three now, right? So, yeah, so I think then you're gonna probably pull another guy from the AFC East. Uh, obviously, the Bills will take the division, in my opinion. I don't know if it'll be Miami or New England, I don't really care. Obviously, I think the Bills are still miles ahead of both of them, even with Tyreek Hill being added to the Miami Dolphins roster. Um, I'm really excited for this football season. I think that a lot of stuff changed around. It was a crazy offseason, crazy free agency, and exciting, especially with what the Bills were able to add. Obviously, all the hype after their last playoff game against the Chiefs. You've got the Bengals, who have asserted themselves as one of the best teams in football, uh, especially if Joe Burrow comes back healthy and ready to go. Jamar Chase, in my opinion, a top-five receiver. Madden didn't think so, but Madden's stupid. They had Dawson Knox as an 83 overall and had Zach Ertz and Hunter Henry above above of him. So that's hilarious. But um, I think that Devontae Adams changing teams, Aaron Rodgers not having his best guy, Patrick Mahomes not having Tyreek Hill anymore, Uh, the young young Jalen Waddle with Tua, who there's a lot of hype behind, but it still makes me laugh. Like the Miami Dolphins act like they were bought into Tua this whole time. Like they weren't trying to trade for Deshaun Watson last year in the previous one or trying to sign Tom Brady in the offseason as a part owner and player. So, like, how much do they really believe in Tua? I just don't think that there's too much belief. So, let's move on now to the state of the Buffalo Bills. Let's get into some really good talk where me and Gage can talk forever. So, 
We're 50 days away, Gage. 50 days away from the Thursday night football see, uh, week one of the regular season where the Buffalo Bills will kick the season off in Los Angeles against the defending Super Bowl champions and probably, in my opinion, probably the favorite to get out of the NFC. Um, I think you probably have Tampa up there and you probably have – probably even the Niners, and then you can't really ever count out Aaron Rodgers, but like, I think that the Rams obviously are still really great. They got Cooper Cup and Matt Stafford, which clearly works. Then they've got, they signed, instead of, you know, they lost Vaughn Miller short, but they still have Aaron Donald, the best player in football, not named Josh Allen. And they also got Bobby Wagner too. Let's not act like Bobby Wagner doesn't have a lot in the tank. So, Mm -hmm. I think that it'll be an interesting time, though. You know, the Cardinals are still going to compete. I don't really care much for them. I think that there's just really too much distraction. I think losing Christian Kirk might really uh, maybe hinder them a little bit. Um, So let's talk about the Bills. 50 days away, Gage. What are you most excited about with this Bills team going into training camp? There's so much to say. I'm excited about everything. Training camp, the season to start, the players we've added, the players we brought back. Gabriel Davis in that game against the Chiefs last year. Oh, wow. Well, you bring up a great point. So Gabriel Davis, which I wanted to talk about. You know me. I wear number 13. You know me. Ever since we we drafted Gabriel Davis, the day of, I watched all his film and I, I wrote a, a, an evaluation post-draft, and I gave the Bills an A-plus for that. I think it might have been an A because I thought he was the biggest steal of the draft in the fourth round. That receiving class was incredibly deep, though, obviously we saw in 2020. But Gabriel Davis has put in a lot of work in this offseason, obviously getting a lot of attention and hype after his record-setting playoff performance with four total touchdowns in that game against the Chiefs. Um, which set a record. He also had eight catches for 201 yards. He had what was the go-ahead touchdown, too, and we're not going to get into 13 seconds. I don't care about that. But he has put on a lot of muscle. He has gotten bigger. And people wonder, like, how is that? It's because the kid is still young and he's growing into his actual body. Like, that's what happens when you're 23, 24, whatever, 22, 23, 24. So I'm excited to see how he's put on some weight and muscle because, man, this is a kid that's going to want to get paid. He's the number two of this of this team right now on the receiving core, obviously with Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders parting. I think that Gabriel Davis has so much hype, but he's going to live up to it because he has been big in big moments. Um, Josh Allen said that he does everything. He works his ass off. He is truly a great guy to have on the field. And you know if Josh Allen says that, man, like that, that says a lot. Um, I also like in the offseason, Gabriel Davis was like doing fishing videos, workout videos that just shows this guy is really dedicated to football and in a peaceful life. Some guys really like to post all their, you know, the clout, all their jewelry, like Tyreek Hill, man, like them guys really just love to just show off. Gabriel Davis is just showing exactly how much fun and like how he's just got a good, reminds me of Timmy. The guy's just fishing. You yeah. Know what I mean, when he's not, when he's not playing football. So I'm excited about that, but I'll tell you Gage, what I'm most excited to see is the impact of Vaughn Miller with these young guys like Greg Rousseau and Boogie Basham. Now, yes, A.J. Epinesa too, but I don't know if he's going to live up to it just yet. He was supposed to kind of have a big year last year. He started pretty solid, but 
uh, tailed off a little bit, but Greg Rousseau, we saw, was really kind of coming alive. Boogie Bisham mm-hmm. never quite got the snaps, but those guys made an impact. So now you're throwing the defensive tackles of Tim Settle, Daquan Jones, and of course, you know, no star, but now you've also got Jordan Phillips coming back. I think that Vaughn Miller is obviously his game-changing experience. Is, you know, he's a game-breaker. He's a true, true – uh, it's true, true guy that that wants to win games. Like in on the defensive side, he can close games out for you. That's in the Super Bowl, he had two sacks. Now, yeah, playing next to Aaron Donald is really going to free up a lot of things for you. But you still have got to mm-hmm. got to capitalize. So, I think that Vaughn Miller is a really great leader. You see him with those young guys. But Greg Rousseau has so much upside. Which, if you don't know about the Buffalo Bills, Greg Rousseau is a big dude, six seven. He's a lengthy dude. He's he's slim. Didn't always play receive. Uh, he didn't always play defensive end. He started off as a receiver. Now people wonder how do we get him at the end of the first round in 2021. Well, that's because he took a year off because of COVID uh, at Miami. So he would have probably been a first round, you know, a high like a top ten pick if he had played that year or in the previous season. But still developing. So what a better what a better guy to play behind than Vaughn Miller. So Gage, that's my thing. I'm looking most forward to because you know what I said. The missing piece in that 13 seconds was was one of two things. Either Tredavious White, who we know was not there, or, okay, you could say better play calling or more awareness, but we're not going to say that, or a guy like Vaughn Miller. See, you could have the best defensive back core. You could have the best safety tandem, which we obviously have, but you could hold on to your guy for 10 seconds and cover him. But I'll tell you what, that is hard to do. It's hard to keep track of your guy and, and really, especially a guy like Patrick Mahomes who can extend plays and make phenomenal plays. You need a guy that can get after him and pressure him and really make it tough because the less time that they have to throw, the easier it is for your defensive backs to make plays. Mm-hmm. A guy like Davius White is rare because – he is such a great cover specialist, yes, and like we have great safeties behind him, sure. But throwing a guy like Vaughn Miller, who's only giving you a few se- couple seconds to throw, that's going to make a big difference. So I think that he's been the missing piece for the last couple seasons that we've tasted potential Super Bowl uh, berths. And I think that again, his leadership—he wants to play out all six years of his contract. Which, which, if you know, we actually covered it when everything happened that it wasn't really. It's a six-year contract, sure, but it's really like three years with options. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. if he plays well, yeah, he'll he'll be able to probably play well, especially with younger guys that might be able to take more snaps and that get better and take pressure off of him. But this Bills team is built to win for the next five to ten years, yes, but they are really, really built for right now, especially Vaughn Miller still in his prime. Shaq Rawson and Jordan Phillips coming back here on very minimum deals was it was huge too because that depth is insane. And Sean McDermott loves to rotate his defensive line quite a bit. Um, still got Matt Milano under contract. You got a guy like Tremaine Edmonds who is going to be fighting for a contract this year too in his last year of his rookie deal. So there's a lot of a lot of upside with this team. Um, as I said, veterans are expected to report this weekend. Preseason will be fun. Uh, I think that we kind of learned from our mistake last year of not playing starters really until the final game of the preseason, and we kind of came out sluggish against the the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week One. There's other factors too, you know, first game in front of a full full stadium basically um, since COVID. But I think that mm, it's going to be a heck of a time. 
obviously kicking off Thursday night football season opener is a really special opportunity, which means obviously the NFL thinks highly of us for once. There's a lot of hype around us. We are definitely Super Bowl favorites. I think that we have the most complete team in football. I think that we have the most complete quarterback. I think that we have the best coach, the best general manager, and I think that we have one of the best receiving cores. I think that there's a receiving core that's better than us. It's probably either Cincinnati or Miami, in all in all honesty. But Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, then you got Isaiah McKenzie, then you got Jamison Crowder, who think people think is going to make noise. People are wondering if Isaiah Hodgins will finally get a little bit of a chance. Uh, Jake Kumaro, you still got Tavon Austin. Khalil Shakir, who we got in the fifth round, who a lot of people are very high on. And yeah. then, obviously, too, what else I'm excited about is what are we going to see from James Cook? Now, I'm tired of people saying that, oh, you know, he's going to take our running back one. Maybe, but let's everybody that doesn't believe in Devin Singletary, go watch his tape in the last, like, five, six games of the year when he started getting the actual reps and instead of – rotating guys like who's running back and there was no true rb1 they were like 1a 1b 1c between him moss and and brita so when he actually started getting the snaps motor does his job we're not a run heavy team but he made use of his snaps he's he's just efficient breaks tackles gets in the end zone they get three straight games and two touchdowns um so motor still got something to play for but I am excited for James Cook, too, because we know he's a really great receiving running back and coming out of Georgia after winning the national title and having big game experience. I'm excited to see what he does, too, because, dude, what a what a better like offense to play with, especially as a young rookie right now. And I'm also really excited for rookie Kyrie Alam because should Tredavious White not be ready to go by week one, which we're not sure, but obviously you don't want to rush him. You don't want to push nothing too much. If you can get by a few games without him, then you do so. Let him let him get healthy. Um, Kyer Alam's got a really good opportunity. I think he's going to be an exceptional starter. I think he's going to be one of the – I think he honestly has a chance to be better than Sauce Gardner. Um, and that's just because sometimes all that hype behind a guy and all that diva kind of sense that Sauce Gardner kind of had kind of can – no offense to anything named Sauce, but can be it can prove to be, you know, dangerous. So Kyer Alam – very similar to Tredavious White, the way he prepares, you know, and like those two have actually, they, like they talk, they've worked together. So I'm excited for that. But also, too, let's talk about this because this is another piece of uh, news. Turns out Vaughn Miller and Stefan Diggs have actually been trying to recruit veteran defensive back and at one point one of the top five defensive backs in the NFL, former uh, Brown and Steeler defensive back Joe Hayden. So they've been trying to recruit him, apparently. Now, Joe Hayden, sure, he's not the elite defensive back he once was, but he's a veteran. He could still play. So I've actually talked about this on Built in Buffalo about the potential signing of him. Sure, he's not going to get a big contract. He's a free agent. He's, he's a free agent right now. So, yeah, I'll probably get a veteran minimum deal. But I think that having him just in case Trey White's not ready to go is, is great because we did lose Levi Wallace. We still have Taron Johnson at slot. We still got Dane Jackson, who has really proven to a lot of people he can play. You still mm-hmm. got the best safety tandem back there. And now you got a better defensive line, which will make the job easier for our defensive backs is what we should, what, what to expect. So Joe Hayden, I think could definitely add good veteran leadership um, in depth right now. When Tredavious White comes back, I don't know how much he'll compete for. Of course, like I said, contract, it varies. It depends. But I don't see why a guy like him wouldn't want to come here and play 
especially knowing what you could be a part of. This is a Super Bowl caliber team. This is definitely like if you're going to ring chase, this is where you want to come to. But also playing defensive back under Sean McDermott has a lot of benefits. Obviously, we've seen how well it's worked for Tredavious White and other guys too. Like look how they stepped up without Trey White. You know what I mean? Like we were still amazing. So I think Joe Hayden definitely – it would be interesting – I see that they've liked some of his like Stefan Diggs and Von Miller liking some of his posts. So it looks like they're really kind of trying to recruit heavily. And if anybody's going to have some like ability to recruit guys, it is guys like them or Josh Allen that will definitely, you know, make some, make some leeway with a guy trying to come here. So um, also too, we're still obviously waiting for whatever's going to happen with Jordan Poyer. As time goes on, I, I really don't know whatever it is that Jordan Poyer wants which he deserves. I'm not questioning that at, at all. But what he wants, the Bills might not be able to do it. You have to understand, guys, that there is still salary cap. We're right there. We have all the guys retained under contract because of guaranteed money. That's what makes a cap hit less. So we have so much guaranteed money tied up in a game that's obviously physical where injuries happen. So it's hard to, like, you know, give, like, a five-year – $70 million contract with 45 guaranteed. Like, it's tough, especially a guy like Jordan Poyer plays the game very physical, but he also does not have a lot of miles because he didn't play much before he came to Buffalo, so that's only really five years of mileage. But he's also been healthy. He's been all pro caliber every single year, so we are still waiting to see what happens with that. It is good to see that he's still there and there's no distraction. Obviously, he wants to be paid. He deserves to be paid, and you want some security when you play in the game of football. But then you got Micah Hyde only one more year or I think maybe a couple years. So Brandon Bean will get whatever he's got to do done. And if I hate to say it, but if he's got to replace him, I'm sure he'll find a way. Either way, this team is ready for this year. So let's make, let's take advantage of the fact that Poyer's here for at least another year. And let's take advantage of him playing. Let's get it done. Let's go win a fucking Super Bowl. 50 days away, baby. I'm excited about that because I'll tell you what, man, this is just going to be, this is the most hype season I can remember. So I'm excited to see, what the Bills will do, especially against the Rams. I think it's going to be a tough battle, Um, maybe high scoring. It all depends on what the Bills defense does and how we manage the expectations and pressure, which I like our, I like the way that we're going to start this year because we had those expectations last year of being a Super Bowl team. And, you know, we went through some adversity, but we still, we performed and we got to where we had to be, came just short, sure. But we are, right where we need to be. We've been there. We've, we've got the experience. We've got the continuity. We have Ken Dorsey as offensive coordinator. Yes. Brian Dable departing. It is what it is. Next guy up. Let's do our jobs. Let's get there 50 days away. I am very, very excited gauge. Cause I'll tell you what, this is going to be the best. We win the super bowl this year. This, the, the parade is going to be absolutely insane. So let's talk a little bit about our NFL expectations real quick before we move on to our final topic. And then we're going to go ahead and sign off. So my expectations are that the Bills will finish um, first in the AFC. I think, like I said, the Chargers will take the AFC West. I think that the AFC North will be taken by the Ravens, honestly. I think that, you know, sure, the Bengals have a lot of hype. They just played in the Super Bowl, but Joe Burrow did get hurt. And the Ravens are a tough team. I don't care. They might have lost Marquise Brown. But Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback. I hate to tell you guys, if you disagree with me, he's a great quarterback. And look what they did last year with how many injuries they had and how many guys didn't play 
and how tough they had to go through of a season. But they still were winning games with backup and third-string quarterbacks. So the Ravens, I think, are always tough. John Harbaugh has been with that team forever. Lamar Jackson is still dangerous. Mark Andrews, their defense. They, they drafted uh, Kyle Hamilton in the first round. I think that the Ravens are going to be tough. I don't think the Browns are obviously with everything with Deshaun Watson and, and all their dysf- dysfunction. I don't think they're going to do much. Steelers are obviously always a tough team, but now you got you got Mitch Trubisky, who I, I love Mitch, especially for his time here. And I think that mm-hmm. he still has – I think he still has potential. I really do. Mm-hmm. I don't – you can judge – everything that happened in Chicago because let's not act like he didn't have one really good year and they made the playoffs under Matt Nagy. So maybe Trubisky still has some, something to prove, Um, you know, being a high draft pick, you don't want to, especially being drafted over Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes, you don't want to, you don't want to be a bust. So then you got the issue though of Kenny Pickett was drafted first round. You don't see guys drafted in the first round at quarterback that typically are not going to start that year, except for a guy like Aaron Rodgers. But obviously there's going to be a lot of people that are, you know, thinking, oh, we're, we're not really going to compete. We want to get them in there. So I don't think the Steelers are exactly like, yeah, they got a solid defense, still got good coaching. Mike Tomlin, in my opinion, probably the second best coach in football behind McDermott. Um, and obviously they still got, you know, a really good receiving core. A really, really great, promising young running back in Najee Harris and a great, promising young tight end in Pat Frermuth. So I think that there's still opportunities for the Steelers, and you can't count them out. But AFC North, in my opinion, is probably – it's like it's it's up there in the top four divisions of football because it's always tough. But yep. I think the Ravens are going to take it this year, and that's not because of Timmy or anything like that. But that's my honest opinion. So then you go to the AFC West, like I said, Chargers. AFC South – Colts, obviously. Um, I think the Jaguars will make a little bit more noise. I think Trevor Lawrence has got a lot of hype still. Obviously, second year. Um, new coach. A lot of stuff that happened last year, but overpaying for a guy like Christian Kirk. But they got some weapons over there. They uh, have a solid defense, too. So, I think they'll make it tough, but I still – Texans ain't going to do nothing. Davis Mills, maybe, but – it's definitely going to go to the Colts. Um, who's the other team I'm thinking of that's down there? The Titans. Tight. Okay. I think the Titans are done. I don't think the Titans are going to be as good as they were. You got rid of A.J. Brown. You have Ryan Tannehill, who's really obviously not looking like a true franchise elite quarterback. Obviously, he was really solid as a game manager and efficient in a couple years there. Derrick Henry coming off of injury is still going to be nasty, but some, some losses to their offensive line. And as I said, A.J. Brown, that's a big loss. I mean, mm-hmm. like he couldn't go to Derrick Henry. You can go to A.J. Brown, who was just obviously a real threat. Then you got Malik Willis, who was drafted there in the third round and all the controversy that surrounds them. I still think that Mike Vrabel should have lost his job for, for his questionable coaching decisions in the playoffs. Um, so I don't know if the Titans have it. I think that the Bills are actually going to get over them. And they should have actually gotten over them last year. Yeah. Even, even with like the slip-up thing, like with Josh, like – that that run by Derrick Henry with all the holds that weren't called, that right there is like a big example. So I think that the Colts will still take it. I think that they're still the best built. Um, they went and got Carson. No, they got rid of Carson Wentz. So Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, exactly. I still think Matt Ryan has a little bit left in the tank. Um, losing Julio Jones is a significant loss. I don't care what anybody says. And coming back from that 28-3 to 3, 
uh, you know, choke obviously is tough, but Jonathan Taylor is still back there. In my opinion, the, the, the best or second best, because I think Micah Parsons is, is one or two, but Darius Leonard is either the, the first or second best linebacker in football. In my opinion, I don't care about Fred Warner. That's those would be one. Those would be my guys, but um, that's what I got for the AFC South. For the wild card, like I said, I probably put, I think the Raiders and the Chiefs, obviously. And I think, honestly, it'll probably be, it'll probably be Miami. Or it'll be, it'll be like, you know, if it's not Miami, it would probably be Ravens or Bengals, whoever finishes second in the AFC North. That would be my opinion. So that's what I would say for the wild card. Then let's go to the NFC, NFC West. I've got, I've got the, um, I got the Rams coming out. I would say the Niners, but Trey Lance might take over. You know, there's still questions with Jimmy G. Then obviously questions with Debo Samuel's contract. Then I think you go NFC North. You're obviously going to put the Packers. The Vikings will make it tough this year, though. They'll make it tough. NFC South. I think not the Falcons, obviously. Probably Tampa. Probably Tampa. Yeah, definitely Tampa. And then you got the NFC East, Cowboys, or the Eagles on. Actually, no. The Eagles might have the best shot because adding AJ Brown to go with Devontae Smith, it all depends on Jalen Hurts. So that'll be a that'll be a question mark over there. I think it'll be them or the Cowboys. So I'm not going to predict NF- NFC wild card. Obviously, it is what it is. But that is going to do it for our Bills and NFL talk. And then let's talk about one more topic before we get out of here. You guys are live here in the Gamebook Podcast with myself, the Buffalo Sauce God, and my co-host, Mr. 12 Gage, the, the Bills 12 Gage. And, uh, of course, check me out on Twitter at Buffalo Sauce God. Check Gage out at 24 Gage Oliver 24. Check us out on Facebook. You can find my page, Buffalo Sauce God. You can also find me uh, for my sports card page, Bolster Up Breaks X Sammy Sports Cards, because Bolster Up Breaks is hits for all, no excuses, only solutions. Also, make sure to check out my website at buffalosauceguide.com. This will be airing on Spotify after it is uh, you know, done here on live. So I'd like to thank everybody so far, especially you, Gage. Uh, let's talk about one more topic, something that me and you have been waiting for, and that is that the Sabres drafted, they re-signed Victor Olsen, they got some other contracts done, and obviously we have a much different team with Tage Thompson, Cousins, Alex Tuck. We have a much different team. Owen Power kind of coming alive when he got put in too, Jack Quinn looking solid. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to feel like there is a little bit of a shift, like I can remember back in 2017, a shift in culture for the franchise. Now, yes. Kim Pagula still runs it. Well, even though she's in the hospital, I'm pretty sure still she runs player development, but now you got guys that actually want to be there and aren't a cancer cokehead, such as Jack Eichel, who's now in Vegas and is going to fuck them up. Even though they're already due to get fucked up. Cause that's how it is when you're an expansion team. Yep. But Jack Eichel gone. Alex Tuck being a Western New York native and a really sound guy. I love that. Tage Thompson was one of the best players in hockey in the second half. You still got Rasmus Dahlin, who's starting to really look good. I think that the Sabres are building better. I thought that they drafted pretty solid. It all depends, obviously, what guys do. 
You still got Casey Middlestat, who is starting to look a little bit better, too. I like Olsen. I like what they've got. I like the leaders they got, and I like the the culture that is going on. You got guys that want to be there, and they want to play. They got something to prove. Like, that first game against the Vegas Knights, man, like, you know they wanted it so bad. So, I'm excited to see what the Sabres will do this year. I know there's people that are talking about rumors of Patrick Kane and maybe Jonathan Thames coming here. I don't see that happening. Um, you never know, but I'm sure the asking price would be too high and we're not trying to give up young talent, uh, you know, for a guy that's coming into the, to the last part of his career, even though he's probably still one of the best players in hockey with Patrick Kane. But I like the way that the, the Sabres are shifting. I am excited to see what they may maybe do this year. We'll have to find out. Um, it'd be nice to taste the playoffs again. You got to start there before you can contend. But as you know, Gage, in hockey, you make the playoffs, you could compete for a Stanley Cup. It's Absolutely. not easy. You're going to have to go against some really tough teams, especially, you know, the Bruins are still great. Penguins, Rangers. Um, Hurricanes. Yeah, the Hurricanes, obviously. And then, like, dude, it's just the Avalanche are still scary. The Lightning are still scary. So, like, it's not going to be easy, but it'd be nice to at least get back to the postseason and start getting hockey as, you know, something that is brewing a little bit more here in Buffalo like it was for a long time when it was really exciting to watch. So, um I'm excited for that, Gage. But that is going to do it for us here in the Gamebook Podcast here, hosted by myself, the Buffalo Sauce God, and, of course, my co-host, Mr. 12 Gage. Appreciate you very much. I want to thank anybody that tuned in, anybody that stopped out. Make sure to hit us with a share button. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And make sure you guys remember to tune in Friday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Built in Buffalo for the sit-down, the best Bills coverage with myself and Caleb. And also at the end of each of those shows, I give a chicken wing recommendation. So let me also give a little little taste of sauce before we head out here, Gage. So the other night, uh, one of my favorite spots is, um, and it's on my top 20 list. I don't know if I've mentioned it on Built in Buffalo yet, but one of my favorite spots is right in downtown across from Salem's Field, Union Pub. It's like a real old-school bar, three-story brick building. They've got what are called Jester-flavored wings, and that name itself sounds intriguing, right? But okay, I asked, what is that sauce? And it really took me by storm. It's 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 barbecue and garlic parm mixed. Now, I've never heard of that before, so I go, all right. I got to try it myself. I got to try making it here. So the other night, I made it barbecue sauce, a little bit of hot sauce, butter, of course, fresh garlic, Garlic powder, garlic salt, a little bit of cayenne pepper, and some of my own little uh, special secrets. So that's a really great sauce. But, guys, make sure to tune in on the sit-down for any of my chicken wing recommendations at the very end of the show. And also, remember, watch us on YouTube because there you can super chat and get your comments seen. And you can ask any upcoming guests that I have any questions that you guys want or anything you want to talk with us about. I'm very excited for this week's show, Gage. Obviously taking a week off. And I'm really happy to be back here in the game book just to uh, talk sports with you and talk about all of what we got to talk about. So, Gage, I appreciate you very much. I want everybody out there to have a blessed rest of their day. Make sure to tune in with us for anything more. Check me out again on buffalosaucegod.com. It's under the works. You could see my interview with Bobby Warren on After Journalism and my, my experience becoming a professional Bills coverage show host live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And all that good stuff. You don't want to miss any of it. So, Gage, appreciate you very much. All you guys, God bless. Stand tall, bolster up, and